today on the Tearsheet Podcast. We've had a lot of experiences with, you know, banks like Santander, like, like Leumi in Israel, and, and, and they're all doing the same thing. They're all thinking, transforming the bank completely and overhauling our core completely when you're a major and you're the key player in your domestic market is seen as too much of a risk. So finding a niche and a, a place on the side where you can test the technology, you can test your organization, you can get comfortable with cloud, you can also capitalize on the solutions which are more modern in your organization, which, are, which will not disappear because you're talking about banks that have four or 500 systems. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Tearsheet Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. There's been a lot of talk about Vero, the first U.S. challenger bank to receive a national charter. The bank has rebuilt its technology off its partner bank and is transitioning over its customers to its new technology stack. To do that, it turned to Temenos, the modern core banking software provider. Alexa Ganun is the firm's president of the Americas and global head of partners. She joins us on the podcast to discuss Temenos' investment in the Americas. The company has 1,300 banks and financial institutions as clients, representing a billion-dollar market for the firm, accounting for 25% of global revenues. We talk about digital transformation and how the pandemic has impacted banking roadmaps. We explore the concept of an incumbent bank creating a bank on the side as a real step forward to replacing the core and moving ahead in the digital era. Alexa Ganun is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Tearsheet's Embedded Conference is an event that brings together financial institutions, technology players, and other firms from industries outside of finance adopting financial services. It isn't about banks versus non-banks. The Embedded Conference is about collaboration and tapping into the best each player in the ecosystem can offer. The nature of the financial institution is changing. Embedded finance turns every app, software, retailer, and business into a bank, and people are responding in kind. With the uptake of embedded finance, consumers are showing that they want a bank with the brands they love. We've got a star-studded lineup of senior leaders from Goldman Sachs, Marketa, Galileo, Q2, and so many more presenting on the future of embedded finance. To learn more and register, go to tearsheet.co and click on events in the top navigation. So my name is Alexa Genun, and I'm the president for the Americas region at Temenos. So I manage the business in North America and LATAM been at Temenos for 14 and a half years now, and I also manage the Global Partnership Program. Awesome, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I think as a way into Temenos, we'd love to hear more about it. Um, can we start first, though, about the role the Americas plays, I guess, in terms of Temenos as a global organization? Yeah, so Temenos, as you just mentioned, is a global organization. We have about 3,000 banks across 150 countries using our solution. Uh, and the U.S. is about, I mean, the, the Americas region is about a quarter of our business, the U.S. a little bit, most of it, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, just in the U.S., we have over 1,300 people, uh, customers, ranging between bank and credit unions uh, of different size, varying size, from very small banks to challenger bank to neobank to a larger organization across all our, our portfolio. And what we really... Uh, do is, is we try to combine the richest banking functionalities that we offer for our, for our solutions with the most advanced technology. And when we say most advanced for us, it has to be cloud and it has to be AI driven. This is really what we do. And, and our passion, which really is so fitting with the times we're in, is to drive and accelerate the digital transformation of banks. And from when we say the digital transformation, it's 
from the entire stack perspective and not to just look at the glass window in front of you. Mm. It's really how you transform the entire organization, bank or credit unions into the digital era that we are in. So, so one thing, Alexa, that we've heard from almost every um, participant on this podcast since since March of this year was this acceleration of digital, you know, based on on the pandemic's impact on um, financial institutions to service their customers. Um, is that something that has you've seen has has dripped down to the at the vendor level? Um, are you seeing increased demand as well? Yes, we've seen, and we've seen actually two things combined. Really, we've seen how our customers who were already well advanced in their transformation could leverage what they have and could service their client, I would say seamlessly, didn't have to put together, uh, you know, what we just described, just a glass screen to be able to, in, to interact. And we've have, we have solution that goes actually even beyond just the, your traditional digital, uh, which you could think as a phone or an internet or a laptop. It's also, we even have solutions where you can interact with real people but for a digital channel, uh, for our engaged platform, for example. And we've seen customers where on that journey, we're using those products, leveraging them to a full extent. And that was really, really a, a proof point for us. But what we've seen as well is people coming to us saying, okay, we're probably a bit late in our transformation. What can we do now? What can we do quickly? Where do we start? And the way we architecture our solution, we can very easily and very quickly, we're, we're completely open, API-driven, uh, cloud agnostic. So we're able to start from the front and then address the back later. So, so we've seen that. We've seen a lot of demand, obviously. I mean, again, it's interesting times we're in, to say the least. And, and people realize that they have to do something. And it's twofold, really. It's the screen and how you interact and how you personalize the interaction with your customers, as well as your technology and cloud. You know, people who are already in the cloud, it's been completely seamless to them. Nobody needs to go to a server room to restart a server. Right. So, so, so one of the things we, we know is that um, replacing a core uh, is, is a complicated, strategic, and existential thing for, for many of these financial institutions. Um, is, is that really what you tell them to do if, if, a, if a financial institution comes you know, and, is, and is thinking about it? You, do, you, do you, I guess, cons- do, you, do you advise them to start with the screen um, in front and then work their way back? It really depends where they are in their transformation, because we have seen banks who had already done the screen part and who are now hindered by the capabilities of their back office and who are in a situation where as nimble as their front is, they have at the back a solution that cannot craft new product quickly, that cannot be uh, agile enough to make them available, because what what the screen in front of you does is make them available. And so for these, yes, we advise to look at the back, but again, from a microservices standpoint, don't replace the entire stack. And again, if you want to be able to do something in a short time frame, which a lot are, are willing to do, overhauling your entire core might not be what you need to do now. But if you have a specific area of issue being uh, you know, on the account servicing part or on the lending side, then maybe it's worth investigating that if you already have the front. Now, some banks come with different issues their their back office might still hold yes with you know duct tape but it's been on duct tape for you know 20 years it can go for one more year 
what they're missing is the interaction with their client. And then in that case, we'll start from the front. We have that flexibility. That's, that's really what it is to start from wherever the pain point is the most pressing. I get that. So, so can you help us? I, I know we, we've covered Vero a lot. You know, it was for mm-hmm. us with the U.S. perspective, Vero is an important organization because it was the first uh, challenger to get to get a, a, a national charter. Um, and I know that they moved from they are in the process. I guess I'd like to hear from you where they are in the process moving from a partner bank over to running their own um, stack on, on Temenos. Um, can you talk about what a bank like what an institution like Vero would have to go through now um, to launch that? Um, okay, I can take Varo's journey and, and it's a good exercise. And I think um, that will be probably slightly different uh, now, more on the time frame perspective, mm-hmm. mostly because we've educated the market with Varo from the vendors to the regulators to the other actors. So, so really, I think that our part was probably, and I'm not trying to discount that, the easiest in a sense that we are market ready for the US. We have a, a US model bank that has all the standard product that you would market that you just need to tailor to your offering. When I say tailor, I mean, parameterize to your uh, pricing and fee schedules, your uh, specific workflows of how you handle them within your, your institution. So that was ready for us. I think what took some time uh, for Varo was a educating the regulators that this was available, educating them on the cloud because again, it's something new. Um, and, and that took a little bit of time. And I think now, uh, at least with us, and we're lucky to be in that position, the regulator is comfortable. They understand what we do, they understand what we bring. And that really helped Varo. And we were, each time they were going to the regulators and questions were coming, they were coming to us and say, okay, how would you answer this? Some of the questions were purely for them from an organization standpoint, but mm-hmm. a lot of them were for us because we're the book of, of records for this bank. So what we do is very important a, in bookkeepings and, and, and obviously what the FDIC is going to, to guarantee, but also in terms of data privacy, in terms of how you manage customer information and all of that was sitting with us. So, so we've been uh, working hand in hand with Varo and it's been an incredible experience. They are now running, they went live. So they are in the process of converting their customers from the partner bank into their own stack. The stack's been running for a while now. It's more a question of converting customers. Mm. And, and what kind of um, demand do you see um, shaping up behind Varo with, with other you know, companies going down the same path? We have quite, quite a lot of demand. It's very interesting. I mean, we have uh, the Varo, Pendant, I'm not going to say equivalent, it's a different proposition, but if you look at Grasshopper, mm-hmm. uh, we're working with, but it's more for smaller, small uh, business side, right? businesses, but it's yeah. a similar venture. Uh, we've signed another one that I can't announce the name, but it will make some noise uh, recently. Uh, we, we've done a, a couple of others uh, uh, in, in the US that are in the work, and we have quite a lot of demand, and it's very varied. So we get demand from fintechs, uh, who wants to become a bank, who wants to get out of their current arrangement with an existing bank whose charter they're using. We have demands from bigger banks who want to build a core on the side type of thing, a bank on the side, a, a, a new digital proposition, and who realize that dragging along the big uh, technology landscape that a big major would have is a bit too much. 
Mm-hmm. So we have these kind of banks as well coming to us and saying, okay, you've done that. What could we do? What could we do fast? And time is of the essence here. Uh, so that's the kind of things we're seeing, but there's quite a lot of demand and it's not only in the US, it, it's, it's globally. I mean, it's something, it's a trend that I think is not going to stop. You may have read that we've signed Flow Bank in, in, uh, in Switzerland, Flow We, and I know it's a bit confusing, but Flow E with an E at the end, an Italian bank just went live in five months. Mm-hmm. And we have a similar proposition, uh, more on an eco-friendly type of positioning. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of demand. And, and then do, I- you, do you see, um, we, we've actually talked about this on the podcast, um, this bank on the side concept that you're describing. We, we've seen, you know, JP Morgan launched it, uh, JP Morgan Chase with Finn mm-hmm. and, and ended up shuttering it quickly. But um, it seems to me like taking that, experience aside that this is it is a viable way for these large banks or some mid, mid to large size banks to get comfortable migrating uh, to the cloud and to newer technology by and it, and sh- by shielding the brand by practicing and ex- experimenting on the side uh, do, do you see this as as a way forward for them you know yeah, we do we okay. really do and that's really something that we've been seeing actually globally for the last five years we've had a lot of experiences with you know Bank like Santander, like like Lumi in Israel, and 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 they're all doing the same thing. They're all thinking, transforming the bank completely, and overhauling our core completely. When you're a major and you're the key player in your domestic market, is seen as too much of a risk. So finding a niche and a a place on the side where you can test the technology, you can test your organization, you can get comfortable with cloud, you can also capitalize on the solutions which are more modern in your organization, which are which will not disappear because you're talking about banks that have four, five hundred systems, and not all of them are part of what they call the core. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so making sure that connecting with those applications that are going to remain no matter what, should you decide to change your core, and that integration works. So you're piloting pretty much everything. You're doing a pilot for your integration. You're doing a pilot for your new technology. You're doing a pilot for your people. How they're gonna cope? How you're gonna redeploy people? And as you said, all of that while not hurting the brand, and not risking basically your your existing business. So it is a very popular uh, thing that we're seeing. What about? Um, and I, I speak this uh, from somewhat an egocentric uh, perspective because Tearsheet mm-hmm. is hosting the the Embedded Finance Conference next month. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we're seeing stateside, I know it's happening in Europe as well. You know, is is this platformification of of finance where obviously there's a bank somewhere involved there with a charter, but there's there's APIs and and distributed services out there where brands can launch banking services without without needing a charter and without needing to really um, build much of a technology stack on their end. Can can you talk about that trend and how you and I guess the the role the core plays in in future financial services? I think it's really interesting because those two trends are, are, are really going in parallel. So you have the trends of new banks and whose main business is banking or want to be banking. They started from fintech or, as we said, it's a bank on the side of a major. And these ones obviously are sitting on the top of a core, but they do also use fintechs, but it's more for servicing. Mm-hmm. And then you have those other fintechs or those other brands who want to offer banking services but don't know banking and banking is not gonna be their primary uh, activity. And they really work on the ecosystem. And for those ecosystems to flourish, no matter what, ultimately you need a position keeping and a, and a record keeping system. 
you need a customer account management system. It, it's the backbone. I mean, you know, somebody within the chain needs to have that. Whether it's the partner bank or whether it's the platform itself, there is a need for that. And we can play on both sides. We can either be on the partner bank side, which is a natural place, if that's the setup, or we can sit in the platform and basically have almost, almost act as sub-ledger to all those fintechs, no matter where they're going to send that information going forward. So, so that's something for us that has a, a lot of sense and a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm curious also, Alexa, to know, um, given sort of the, the impact Corona has uh, had on the uh, financial services industry, how Temenos responded, you know, in these past, what, eight months, I guess it is, um, yeah. like from a new, new product services or support, um, like h- how did you guys respond? So first of all, obviously, like everybody else, we had a full life uh, test of our DR and (laughs) uh, capabilities, Mm -hmm. which, you know what, worked, which Mm -hmm. I have to say that because I'm always amazed because you you do tests and as big a test you want to do, you don't expect an 8,000 people company with 5,000 of it almost in India being able to be 98% online and remote. And we did. In a month, everybody was remote because the, 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 the lockdowns ha- you know, happen in a sequence starting as early as Europe. You know, okay, we have China, but China, we don't have as many people there. But, and it, they were not in the pandemic area. So it's slightly different. But if you start the real, the real start for us was really with Europe on the 16th of, of, uh, of March and then cascading down from there. In a month, we had everybody working remotely. We really had only the essential people. And again, cloud is a good example. Cloud command centers, uh, where you have data residency issues and you can't just access it from anywhere. We're the only place we had to maintain a very small number of on-site people with obviously rotation. So for us as a company, it worked extremely well. It worked extremely fast. And we were very quickly, and I have to say, I dare say, faster than a lot of bank out mm-hmm. of the problem of DR and how do we get organized. So once that was done, really, and literally the month after, I have to say, beginning of April, we started looking at how we could help our customers respond to what was going on, either through offerings that were specific to help them serve their customers better. And I think specifically here of things like Engage, which, for example, Commerce Bank implemented as well, uh, you know, to have that personal digital touch, but with a proper banking agent. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was something we launched very quickly. We were we acquired this, this product through the Oconee acquisition in the US and we launched that globally faster than we anticipated and it had an amazing response. Uh, we then started to see how we could help our customers respond to the various offering that were coming in the market. And if you look at Atlantic Union Bank in the US with the PPP program, they came to us and they said, okay, we want to be part of the PPP program. What can we do? They're using our infinity uh, origination solution. And in six days, literally six days, we were launching the PPP program. And so we locked people in virtually, shut everybody from their own room and worked day and night. And it was done in six days from conceiving the product to testing it, configuring it and putting it in production. Wow. That's wild. So yeah, I knew it was wild. I can tell you <laughs> that. And, and it worked and, and they're, one of the largest uh, uh, um, provider of, of PPP today in the US. So, and it's on our technology. So we're extremely proud because 
especially in these days, it gives you also a sense of, of pride that you're helping the community. We've seen so many crises where banks were on the wrong side of the history or mm -hmm. perceived as in the, on the wrong side, that being on the right side and helping banks be on the right side to help people who are struggling is really, I mean, it's really rewarding from people, for people. And, and it doesn't matter then that you work day and night. So, so you had a lot of um, focus and engage, I guess, came, came, you know, was, was in demand there. You had your own um, resilience that you guys as an organization need to get through before you could help your own clients. Um, I have a, a further question. So you, you mentioned Kony. Um, I believe there was also an acquisition in the U.S. of Avoca. I think that was it a few years back. Um, yep. Are there more? Are, can you talk about, I guess, the, the need or, or the interest in, in acquiring those companies and um, where, where those stand now? And, and if you're still considering other acquisitions in the U.S. in the Americas market? Okay. So uh, first of all, on, when it comes to the Americas uh, and, and the U.S. market specifically, we spend about a billion in the last five years. And you mentioned it uh, with Coney and Avoca, it's about 800 million in the last two years. Avoca will be in his second year only in December. We acquired it in December 18. So uh, we've in invested a lot of money. The reason why it's in the US is really, is really twofold. The first one is because the US is the most important market with half of the spend on third party product. So, you know, we cannot afford not to be here. Mm -hmm. And as a result, you also have a lot of assets available. Uh, also, because it was the right product for us to acquire for the US, but also globally. We don't acquire products that are on all technologies just to get a customer base or just to get a present. Of course, if that's the added benefit. But we acquire companies that are going to accelerate our roadmap. And we were already, we had launched Infinity about a year ago when we acquired Kony on the basis of Avoca and our own microservices, but we were missing uh, the experience itself. And we could have built it like any technology company, but mm -hmm. time to market is of the essence. And then Kony came along and it was the perfect asset for us because it gives us the platform with Quantum and it gave us the application itself, the banking applications for the DBX uh, that they have launched. So we put all of that within our Infinity portfolio and probably gain a couple of years easily on our go-to-market. So, so that's the reason why we acquired those two companies. They were in the digital space. They had a potential to be global because obviously, you know, whatever we do, we have one mantra, which is we don't do things twice, three, four times. We don't have five different cores. We don't have five different front ends. Uh, we want things that are configurable, upgradable, and customizable in a sense that we can make them fit to every market. And that we found with both Kony and Avoca, and that's why we acquired them. So if you follow that logic, obviously we've crossed the billion revenue now, mm -hmm. there will be more acquisition at that size, you know, organic growth is as important as external growth. So we will continue growing. We are a fast growing company. We've always been, but we will be continuing to acquire. And obviously with the two things I mentioned, which is half of the market is in the U S and we want to be big in that market and the assets are here, there is a big likelihood that the next acquisitions will also end up being in the US. I can't guarantee it, but all the, you know, the characteristics I just mentioned would lead us to acquiring more assets in the US. That makes a lot of sense. Um, in the remaining time that we have, uh, I'm curious to know, you know, we already can see 2021, thank goodness. Um, 
what what are your priorities uh, within the Americas, both from a business perspective, from a product perspective? What what are you thinking about? From a business perspective, obviously, it's capitalizing on on all the good things that have been happening over the last two to three years. And I have to say, this year we're really in the middle of this pandemic. We really had a, a turning point on our cloud development. When I say cloud, I mean you know cloud and SaaS with our customers. I mean you know customers like Varo who started with us and who are now just increasing the use and the volume and, and how they work with us. And that's obviously giving us great references and great credibility. And also quite frankly, like every time you launch something new, it gives us even more uh, you know, confidence that what we're doing is the right thing because it's, it is really working. So you know, it's, it's giving the whole Salesforce a boost as well. You know, having such a reference is amazing for us. So definitely capitalizing on that and making sure we utilize all of our drivers of growth uh, being, you know, infinity from the digital side, transact from the back office side uh, uh, and the core side. Uh, obviously, a payment hub. There's a lot of demand for payments. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, making sure we capitalize on all our drivers of growth. That's the um, obviously where we want to continue our trend. On a product standpoint, we've done a lot for our um what we called the US model banks. So making sure that our product are fit to market, but we haven't covered yet all the asset class and all the products, obviously, because it's always based on demand. We don't believe in shelfware at Terminos. So we don't believe in building something and just putting it in there until somebody looks at it and say, oh yeah, it might be interesting, but you need to redo half of it. So we want to find partners who are going to bring the product to the next level of evolution and work with them to make sure that what we're doing is tested and, and road tested right away by somebody who's going to be using it. And so there are some areas where we're going to have to, you know, uh, um, probably do more. And I'm thinking, for example, about wealth here, because we're very big on, on the private banking side of wealth management, mm -hmm. but uh, the rest probably needs to be more Americanized. And that's something that we're looking at in conjunction with some of our prospects and clients. So that's one area for product. Continuing on the digital, the digital side, obviously, uh, we've done a lot with Infinity, but Infinity is a new product. We launched it two years ago. We enriched it with with um, with Kony only a year ago. So there are still, you know, things coming out. And then the big thing for us is going to be SaaS and cloud, as I mentioned. You know, we are in the cloud already. We are, you know, offering our solution in SaaS. The question is going to be now, what kind of solution can we offer that are completely packaged and as a service? Because, you know, there's always a, a big gray area between what you call SaaS and hosting. And we want to make sure that all we're offering is really true SaaS, true on-demand, true SaaS. And, and we have again started this with the likes of Varo where we have the retail side of things, but we, again, the whole portfolio needs to move in that direction in the US and globally. Alexa, thanks for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. Thank you so much for having me.